from deep inside your audio device of choice. It feels warm out there, doesn't it? Because uh, in here, it's a crypto winter. The uh, Australian, well, you know, down there it's, it is winter time. The Australian Securities Exchange is signaling it will abandon plans to rebuild its core platforms on blockchain technology. Yeah, it was the new thing. And now, uh, in 2017, the Australian Securities Exchange, it's a stock exchange, hence the name, decided to replace its core app with a system based on blockchain and digital asset modeling language. You're damn The exchange hoped to allow market participants to run their own nodes of a blockchain that would record their transactions before rippling out over the blockchain so that all other stakeholders would also have a record of the transaction. According to the British tech journal, The Register, this was billed as a modern way to run an exchange instead of an old-fashioned central platform. The plan drew enormous attention and praise from the blockchain community, which saw it as an endorsement of the tech's suitability for the extremely demanding and sensitive job of running a significant securities exchange, and therefore for doing almost anything else. But the project didn't go well. In 2020, it was pushed back a year. Further delays led to a plan to go live this year. Late 2022, the Australian Securities Exchange paused the project. A review found that using blockchain tech wasn't up to the job. An external review found poor vendor management. That's got to hurt. And technology issues combining to derail the project. All right, then. And also down under, it's still winter, Westpac, that's a large bank headquartered in Sydney, Australia, has banned customers from transacting with Binance. On the same day as the controversial cryptocurrency exchange, that's Binance, was stripped of its ability to accept funds transfers from Australian clients using something called PayID. Binance is fighting to retain banking services in Australia. Hmm. As it contests allegations overseas that it improperly attracted customers and knowingly facilitated money laundering. Westpac rolled out a series of scam protection measures this week, blocking Australian customers from sending Australian dollars to, quote, high-risk, unquote, exchanges like Binance. Quote, we've determined that high-risk exchanges are predominantly where scam money has ended up, unquote, Chris Whittingham, general manager of risk and fraud operations at Westpac said. Digital exchanges, he went on, have a legitimate role to play, but we've blocked access to some overseas exchanges that uh, are used more frequently than others for scams. Binance and its chief executive, Chang Peng Zhao, face a lawsuit filed by the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission 
uh, was filed in March, alleging that they were operating an illegal exchange and a sham compliance program. The lawsuit alleges Binance willfully evaded U.S. laws that solicited American customers for its derivatives business. Mr. Zhao, Chang Peng Zhao to you, is one of the most prominent figures in the cryptocurrency world. He had uh, set off the run on FTX. He cast doubt on FTX's stability last November. That helped fuel a sell-off in the company's tokens. That set off a chain of events that led to FTX's collapse and criminal charges against Sam Bankman-Fried. Since that collapse, the crypto industry has faced mounting regulatory pressure. Whittington from Westpac, the Australian bank, says in kind of an understatement, quote, there's an undeniable need for regulation in this space, unquote. We got to move to another space. Hello, welcome to the show.
everybody's dreams, girl. I don't need sleep anymore. But if I close my eyes, I'd sleep the sleep of the gods. I'm not the same without you. No. From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this particular edition of the show. And now, News of the Godly. Roman Catholic Church leaders in Bolivia said this week the institution had been, quote, deaf, unquote, to sexual abuse in church-run schools. They say they're taking action after a series of accusations in recent weeks led to protests and a legal investigation. <laughs> the accusations were sparked by the publication of the Spanish newspaper El País last month of the diary of a late Jesuit priest. It contained multiple confessions of sexual abuse of children in the schools he ran in Bolivia. It alleged Church officials knew about the abuse, but did nothing. Since April, some 200 people have come forward to say they suffered abuse in religious-run schools in Bolivia. The uh, Catholic bishops this week said that as a church, we're certain of having taken part directly or indirectly in deep pain inflicted on innocent people who were victims of sexual abuse and of an insufficient handling of the situation, unquote. The bishops said they'd set up two commissions, two commissions, ladies and gentlemen. One's not enough anymore to investigate the abuse and help victims who, instead of receiving protection, quote, found themselves with a church deaf to their sufferings. Well, get the church a hearing aid, at least. Nearly 2,000 children across Illinois were sexually abused by 451 Catholic clerics and religious brothers over the past seven decades. That's the report from the Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul. In an investigation report released this week, the number of accused abusers or abused accusers is significantly larger than the 103 that the Catholic dioceses of Illinois had publicly listed five years ago when the investigation was first launched. This from the Washington Post. Quote, these perpetrators may never be held accountable in a court of law, but by naming them here, the intention is to provide a public accountability and a measure of healing to survivors who have long suffered in silence. That's a quote from the Illinois Attorney General 
Kwame Waru. The report detailed accusations of lengthy cover-ups and horrific narratives of repeated abuse. After investigators reviewed over 100,000 pages of documents and received more than 600 contacts from survivors. Accounts include, here's one, clergy getting three brothers drunk soon after their father died before, before having sex with them. There's uh, one reaching into the pants of boys at a Halloween party, then receiving a new assignment in another state, and abusing more than 20 young boys over two decades, including giving a 14-year-old a drink with a strange taste, then assaulting him before being finally charged. The Illinois Catholic dioceses frequently fail to hold offending priests accountable, said the report, instead reassigning them or downplaying parents' concerns. Quote, is there not some other way to protect children and at the same time not destroy the accused, e.g. leave the accused in place, but assign a monitor, spell out his restrictions, inform leadership, etc. House arrest, house arrest is better than public disgrace. That was uh, one of the archdiocese's top officials writing in a handwritten note reviewed by the Attorney General's office. Yeah, I'm sure there's a way to do that. I'm sure that's what they did. The um, Archbishop of Chicago urged the uh, Illinois Attorney General to provide information on the newly uncovered cases of clergy sexual abuse. He said he would gladly add the names to his list of credibly accused priests if the claims were substantiated. Cardinal Blaise Kupik, the Archbishop of Chicago, in his first interview since that report was released, expressed surprise that the 125 new cases involved some priests he'd never heard of. He voiced dismay that the Attorney General's office hadn't forwarded the new claims to the Archdiocese to look into, as it did during the five-year investigation. We, quote, we thought we had that kind of relationship with the Attorney General, and so we're disappointed that we're hearing these for the first time, unquote the Archbishop. He acknowledged the report laid bare a constant structural problem in the way the Catholic Church handles abuse cases with religious orders such as your Jesuits, your Franciscans, your Oblates and Marists, often escaping scrutiny and accountability since they and not the diocesan leadership keep personnel files. Kupik concurred there was more the Holy See could and should do to bring religious orders into line. Quote, should in fact there be more direction from the central office of the church to speak to religious orders? I would be in favor of that, he said. I want to make sure we put everything out there because I can tell you this, when we do that and a victim survivor sees it, it brings healing. That's why I do it, unquote, the Archbishop of Chicago. He said he'd be willing to refuse to let priests of non-compliant orders work in his archdiocese, as recommended by the report, although he said he'd, quote, rather use the carrot than the stick because we do need these religious orders, unquote. Raul's investigators, this is the attorney general, called for an independent medi mediation and compensation process for victims, 
That's like uh, what the archdiocese in, in Los Angeles and New York have established. Such a third-party process, said the report, gives victims a confidential, non-adversarial place outside of the control of the diocese to be heard and to be financially compensated for the trauma inflicted on them. But the Archbishop of Chicago said he didn't want to outsource the compensation process because that would deprive the church of the chance to provide pastoral care to victims. My concern about contracting this out to a third party is we turn ourselves into a business, not a church, unquote, the archbishop. And when Danielle LaCampagne came forward 21 years ago to report being sexually molested as a child by a San Francisco priest, Father Daniel Carter, she thought his days as a clergyman were numbered. Uh, no. The following year, 2003, former San Francisco Archbishop William Levada declared her allegations to be unfounded. And Carter was returned to ministry and continued to work as a priest over the ensuing two decades. Now, six new alleged victims, both men and women, have come forward about Carter. They accused the longtime priest in separate lawsuits of sexually abusing them as children at different moments in his career between the 1970s and 2000. I'm very proud of whoever it is that's coming forward, says La Campagne. When I came forward, it was very difficult to do it alone, so I'm happy to be here and talk about it. They are not alone. The findings come amid an ongoing NBC Bay Area investigation into a wave of new lawsuits hitting the Catholic Church across California made possible by an act which temporarily did away with the statute of limitations on child sexual abuse cases. Spokesperson for the Archdiocese of San Francisco, which employs Carter, still declined to comment on his current status as a priest, but videos posted to YouTube show Carter serving at San Francisco's St. Paul of the Shipwreck as recently as 2021. The Archdiocese will be handling lawsuits brought against it via the appropriate legal channels and will not make any comments to the media related to litigation, said the spokesperson. Carter's name appears to be absent from a current list of priests in good standing with the Archdiocese who are allowed to minister. He declined a request for a comment. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by some guy. Well, first, athletes have joined the clamor of criticism at the high cost of tickets for the Paris Olympics next year. It's decried as undermining organizers' promises of a games accessible to all. This from Agence France Press. Sales of Phase 2 got underway earlier this month. Nearly a million and a half tickets available. 
Over 3 million were sold as multi-event packs during phase one. Sales have been brisk. Two-thirds of the latest batch snapped up on the first day. But just as during phase one, vocal protests, particularly on social media, that the exorbitant prices conflicted with the Games for All promise from Paris 2024 chief Tony Estanguet. We expected the criticism. We were warned the sales periods were a different time, a difficult time, but we underestimated the scale, conceded Estanguet, a former canoeing champion. We knew that some people would be disappointed. And local politicians and charities in France have expressed concerns about a French government plan to encourage thousands of homeless people and asylum seekers to leave Paris before next year's games and move to other regions of the country to free up accommodation in the capital. Agence France Press reported that since mid-March, the government has asked local prefects well, nobody's prefect, to create temporary reception centers in every French region, except the north and Corsica, which would free up space in hotels normally used as emergency accommodation centers in and around Paris. The mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, said there's absolutely no question of chasing anyone from Paris. Not at all. Nobody will be forced to leave. Nobody will be obliged to go to the other end of France. I'm angry about this being pushed onto the city authority because it's not our role or responsibility, and we already play more than our part in finding urgent accommodation for vulnerable people. City Hall says there are 150,000 people in temporary accommodation in Paris. An estimated 3,000 people, mostly single men and long-term homeless, sleep rough in the streets. AdAge reports that the Olympic and Paralympic Committee of the United States has reset its marketing game approaching the Olympics, looking to be more strategic in its outreach to fans. The organization behind Team USA has hired a new chief brand and fan engagement officer to develop a creative platform. The U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee is attempting to strike a balance between marketing to devoted Olympic fans and reaching Generation Z, a coveted demographic that tends to consume sports differently than older generations. That means aligning with Gen Z's values such as togetherness, hard work, ambition, and excitement, and showing up where those fans are so they can see themselves in Team USA. Yes, it's the Olympics. Yes, it's a movement. And yes, we all need one. Every day. But wait, there's more. NBC wants to offer athletes some assistance. According to Variety, the media company, which has a deal to televise the Olympics until, I think, the... Uh, the Cows Come Home, is uh, launching a new production company called Fortius. I say Fortius. That aims to help Olympic athletes burnish their brands in the months leading up to the next Games. The company, uh, according to Variety, has many reasons to do so. NBC and its parent, Comcast, have invested heavily in U.S. rights 
to the Olympic broadcasts. They're paying seven and three quarter billion for rights to the events leading to 2032. That programming, as you know, if you've ever watched it, relies heavily on in-depth features on the athletes that require NBC sports crews to meet with them several times over the course of their training. People are more invested when they know the stories and background of these Olympics, says Jenny Storms, chief marketing officer at NBC of Entertainment and Sports. That is a fact, she says. Fortius aims to work with between 50 and 20 Olympic or Paralympic hopefuls, pairing them with company experts from Bravo, NBC Sports, and other parts of the company. These experts and staffers can help the athletes think about the cadence of releasing clips and posts on various social media outlets and how to understand how those releases perform. NBC is providing the service at no cost to the athletes. Fans want to know more. For the athletes to show up more frequently, says the Olympic Committee's chief strategy and growth officer, she expects the program to become more robust next year. Believes it will help the athletes to be better able to discern good promotional opportunities and brand alliances for themselves. Retired athletes may take part and help to mentor their younger counterparts. For some would-be Olympians, the assistance may come as a relief. Sonny Choi will uh, be featured at the Olympics for the first time next year, says she can use assistance in many aspects of social promotion, including knowing what moments are authentic and worth capturing for fans. Hey, if it's the Olympics, it's authentic. And that, well, you can't take it to the bank, but you can keep it someplace safe. Look at that thistle, look at that weed, look at that wild flower blooming from a seed, blooming from a seed, reminding me of me, with my litany of minor victories, minor victories, minor victories, minor victories, lost in this jungle. Lost in this maze Lost in this high-rise Building in a haze Building in a haze Ticking off the days With my litany Of minor victories Minor victories Minor victories Minor victories No victory Trudging through men, heading for the light, 
carrying my long list of things that I would like, things that I would like to have in my life with my litany of minor victories. No victories. From New Orleans, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Looks like must love. Tesla has failed to adequately protect data from customers, employees, and business partners, and has received thousands of customer complaints regarding the car maker's driver assistance program. That's according to uh, The Guardian, quoting a German news source, Handelsblatt, which cited 100, 100 gigabytes of confidential data leaked by a whistleblower. The report said customer data could be found in abundance in a data set called Tesla Files 
Files include tables containing more than 100,000 names of former and current employees, including the social security number of Elon Musk, along with private email addresses, phone numbers, salaries of employees, bank details of customers, and secret details from production. The breach would violate the uh, European privacy laws. The Guardian hadn't independently verified the documents. The Data Protection Office in Brandenburg, where Tesla's European headquarters Gigafactor is located, described the data leak as, quote, massive, said the Brandenburg Data Protection Officer. I can't remember such a scale. If such a violation was proved, Tesla could be fined up to 4% of its annual sales, which could be around $3.5 billion. The newspaper, citing the files, also reported about large numbers of customer complaints regarding the driver assistance program, about 4,000 complaints on sudden acceleration or phantom braking. Last month, a Reuters report showed that groups of Tesla employees privately shared via an internal messaging system, sometimes highly invasive videos and images recorded by customers' car cameras between 2019 and 2022. In uh, other news of America's favorite billionaire, Elon Musk's brain chip firm, Euralink, says it has received approval from the Food and Drug Administration to conduct its first tests on humans. Neuralink wants to help restore vision and mobility to people by linking brains to computers. It says it doesn't have immediate plans to start recruiting participants. Previous ambitions to begin tests by Neuralink didn't come to anything, but the FDA said it acknowledged Neuralink's announcement this week. The earlier bid was rejected on safety grounds. That's a report two months ago by Reuters that cited multiple current and former employees. Neuralink hopes to use its microchips to treat conditions such as paralysis and blindness and to help certain disabled people use computers and mobile tech. The chips have been tested in monkeys. They're designed to interpret signals produced in the brain and relay information to devices via Bluetooth. Experts have cautioned... According to the BBC, the Neuralink's brain implants will require extensive testing to overcome technical and ethical challenges before they can become widely available. Musk has previously suggested the proposed technology could help ease concerns about humans being displaced by AI. The approval was the result of incredible work by the Neuralink team in close collaboration with the FDA, said Neuralink's announcement. The firm promised more information soon on plans to sign up trial participants. Tempted? Yet? Are you? Its website promises that safety, accessibility, and reliability are all priorities during its engineering process. The company, co-founded by Musk in 2016 has repeatedly overestimated the speed at which it can execute its plans according to the BBC it was originally going to start planting chips in human brains three years ago to honor a pledge it made the year before it later vowed to 
get the thing started in 2022. Uh, the business was dealt another setback last December, c- came into uh, questioning under investigation for alleged animal welfare violations in its work. And of course, Elon Musk was center stage for at least one day this week when Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, chose Twitter Spaces, an audio-only service in which to announce that he was running, he, DeSantis, running for president. He was joined in that, quote, broadcast, unquote, by Elon Musk, as well as by one of Musk's friends, David Sachs. You know by now that was not a successful broadcast. Most of the news reports about it said after the first 20 minutes when it was plagued by dropouts, it moved to David Sachs' Twitter account and concluded successfully. Here, ladies and gentlemen, from the Internet is how that broadcast via Twitter spaces concluded. Well, Governor, I, I want to thank you for the time. Um, I mean, we could go for hours here, but I, I know you only had an hour and we've gone over that. So I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I know there's so many people who want to ask questions and we, we should like- do it again. I mean, I think it was yeah. fun. I, I think this is great. And um, we'll make sure that um, uh, that we come back and do it again. This this is a this is a great platform. I mean, we I would like to see other platforms going in the same direction. But, um, you know, a healthy democratic society needs the rope. and thank you. Thanks, Governor. And yeah, we have over 300,000 people in the room. It's really been pretty incredible. And, you know, we started with some technical Uh, which obviously results in, you know, it's it's, going to be imperfect because it's not scripted. So, uh, but it's genuine. Um, And I think that that really gives the people an opportunity to understand who who might be their president uh, in a way that's real. So thank you very much for, and, for coming on and doing this. And the invitation's open to any other candidates who might want to do this. A- absolutely. Um, it is important for people to hear directly from candidates. So um, thank you for uh, working with us on this his- historic uh, event. And uh, uh, yeah, looking, looking forward to future conversations and, and just uh, ha- having a great national dialogue. Alrighty, everybody. Thanks for just bye bye. Bye And that was the successful conclusion of the announcement by Governor DeSantis. The uh, last voice you heard there, talking about uh, how important all this is, was of course Elon Musk. And I'm sure the Neuralink will work even better. And now I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. 
Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. A report published this week focuses on the need for the carpet industry to stop brushing evidence of potentially harmful microplastics in their products under the mat, so to speak. Researchers are calling for floor covering manufacturers and suppliers to start being more transparent and to work together to find solutions to a growing problem. This is from fizz.org, a joint report of by Revolution Plastics at the University of Portsmouth in England and sustainability consultancy experts SB and Co. concluded there are currently no microplastic reduction policies in the carpet industry. Researchers compared 51 companies from European clothing and carpet industries to evaluate if they had microplastics policies or provided information to customers about the microplastics in their products. The clothing industry was now starting to acknowledge the problem of microplastics shedding from clothes and have new initiatives aiming at zero impact. But the carpet industry is a different story. Microplastics have been shown to have serious negative impacts on many animal species, like reduced growth, intestinal damage, aberrant development, and reduced population growth. Recent studies have shown microplastics can enter human bodies. Plastics, microplastics, found in blood, blood, liver, lungs, and the placenta. Carpets are of particular concern. It's been estimated that they can double the number of microplastic fibers in the home. And that, coupled with the fact we spend up to 90% of our lives indoors, means there's potential for breathing in high concentrations of microplastics. Of the carpet companies investigated, 24 of them, they found, did SB and Co., they're heavily promoting the shift to using recycled plastics as a more environmental and sustainable solution, but are not yet considering the impacts of microplastics. Instead, Durability, cleanability, and low prices are the key selling points for plastic carpets. None of the 24 carpet companies reviewed had a publicly stated position on microplastics that all sold carpets made with plastic. Almost 86% of the manufacturing companies included have a sustainability strategy, but not including microplastics. Consumers are unaware of the health issues associated with microplastics. Retailers offer only guidelines to highlight carpet qualities. The report recommends carpet companies work together to standardize testing of microplastics in their products, like the clothing company does. Research by the University of Portsmouth shows high levels of microplastics inside living areas. These plastic Objects, meaning the carpets, can release microplastics into a semi-closed environment where they're not diluted by large amounts of water or air as they would be outside. When they break up small enough, they can lift into the air as dust to be breathed in or to later land on food and be eaten. It's therefore sensible to begin taking steps to limit our exposure when possible. What we are seeing, says the doctor from Portsmouth University, is the flooring industry making strong environmental claims on their products, 
and the use of recycled plastics. Our report is encouraging manufacturers to learn the lessons of the clothing industry and start taking action. Unquote. And a team of researchers at the Korea Research Institute of Bioscience and Biotechnology, the KRIBB, the crib, revealed that the smaller the size of microplastics, the greater the accumulation of carcinogens in the body, the human body, which can lead to combined toxicity and cause heart deformities. Team at Cribs Center for Environmental Disease Research used a zebrafish model to investigate the effects of microplastic size on the combined toxicity of a carcinogen, benzanthracine. The smallest-sized microplastics, eight millionths of an inch, enhanced the toxicity of benzanthracine, leading to cardiac defects and disruption of vessel formation. Therefore, the smaller the size of the microplastics, the more they accumulate in the body, and the more toxic they become. The study was published in the online edition of the environmental science journal Chemosphere last month. Just one word, microplastics. And now, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Dayline Dallas, the Dallas Stars, have apologized to the Vegas Golden Knights and the National Hockey League after their fans tossed debris at opposing players during Game 3 of the Western Conference Finals this week. On behalf of the Dallas Stars organization, I would like to apologize to the Vegas Golden Knights and the league for the actions of a few of our spectators at last night's game. Their actions were unacceptable and put the safety of the players and fans at risk, said Brad Alberts, Dallas Stars president and CEO. With their team down four to nothing, fans littered the ice with plastic bottles and garbage in protest and frustration. With debris hitting the ice, the referees had the players leave for their dressing rooms with 21 seconds remaining in the second period for their safety. The Los Angeles Dodgers are walking back the team's stance days after the team made headlines for withdrawing an invitation to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. The Dodgers are apologizing to the group. The team announced that it's not only apologizing to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, they're once again extending a second invite to the group for the upcoming LGBTQ plus Pride Night. I'm sorry, Pride Night set to take place Friday, June 16th. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence made headlines last week after religious organizations and Senator Marco Rubio accused the group of mocking Christians. That controversy prompted the Dodgers to exclude the organization from the upcoming Pride Night festivities. But, quoting the Dodgers, after much thoughtful feedback from our diverse communities, honest conversations within the Dodgers organization, and generous discussions with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the Dodgers would like to offer our sincerest apologies 
to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, members of the LBGTQ Plus community, and their friends and families. We've asked the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to take their place on the field at our 10th annual Pride Night. A California Dateline Los Angeles as well, a California man who spent 33 years in prison for attempted murder has been declared innocent and freed. The L.A. District Attorney announced this week Daniel Saldana, 55, was convicted in 1990 of opening fire on a car containing six teenagers who were leaving a high school football game east of L.A. Two students were wounded but survived. The attackers mistook the teens for gang members, authorities said. Saldana was 22 at the time of the shooting, worked full-time as a construction worker. He was one of three men charged with the attack. Sentenced to 45 years to life in prison, he appeared with the DA, George Gascon, at a press conference announcing his exoneration. He said he was grateful to be freed. Quote, it's a struggle every day waking up knowing you're innocent and here I am, locked up in a cell, crying for help. I'm just so happy this day came, he said. An aspiring India-based LinkedIn influencer who worked for the consulting giant Deloitte apologized over the weekend for a recent post in which he fulsomely praised Adolf Hitler. In the post, he wrote that, like everyone, the German leader had some good and some not-so-good qualities in service of a point about what could be learned from his domestic popularity. The apology was quickly deleted, as was the original, as was the original post. Deloitte's media relations staff, as well as the office of its chief executive officer, were unavailable for comment, didn't respond to repeated requests. The influencer, Nirab Mehotra, worked for Deloitte. Not clear if he still does. The post was screenshotted and circulated online, leading Mehotra to write an apology, saying he had... No intention of hurting anyone's feelings should have been more careful and would not write anything about such personalities in the future. He also asked for forgiveness and for the broader LinkedIn community to continue our growth journey with full force. The original post and the apology were deleted and uh, so was his LinkedIn account. He's linked out. Max, the streaming service formerly known as HBO Max, relaunched to a chorus of boos in strike-ridden Hollywood. According to the Washington Post, writers, directors, and producers complained that the new app, Max, obscured their credits on its menu pages. The streamer's parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery, apologized hours after launching the service, Max, and promised to restore writing and directing credits to the app. No timeline. We agree the talent behind the content on Macs deserve their work to be properly recognized. The company said in a statement it attributed to an unnamed spokesperson. We will correct the credits, which were altered due to an oversight in the technical transition from HBO Max to Max. And we apologize for this mistake, unquote. Yet taking out those three letters must have been more work than it seemed. Two Hollywood unions, the DGA, the Directors, and the Writers Guild West, issued a joint statement condemning the change, swapping distinct categories for writers and directors for each project. 
lumping them all together as, quote, creators, unquote, as if they're um, influencers, almost as if they're influencers. This is a credits violation for writers, says the head of the Writers Guild, which, as you may know, is on strike. A campaign led by outraged social media users and New Zealand's Department of Conservation to raise awareness about the treatment of a kiwi in captivity resulted in a Miami Zoo issuing an apology for offending a nation. Paora, a kiwi hatched at Zoo Miami, had been part of a wildlife encounter program with the zoo. Guests would get the chance to pet New Zealand's flightless bird for about 20 bucks. But videos of the experience online prompted concerns from people afraid the animal was being mistreated by zoo staff by being exposed to bright lighting and excessive exposure. One petition to save this mistreated kiwi received over 10,000 signatures pointed out the kiwi are mainly nocturnal animals. The New Zealand Department of Conservation also stepped in, saying in an online statement it would be speaking to the American Association of Zoos about the situation. Following that outrage, Zoo Miami Communications Director Ron McGill told Radio New Zealand the Kiwi encounter was a huge mistake and that the zoo had offended a nation. The bird is no longer being handled by guests and now is living in a dark enclosure. Quote, I'm embarrassed that we're in this position. This was not well well conceived when they came up with this plan. The thought was, well, since the bird is eating and seems very healthy and doing well, that this is something maybe we could do, McGill told Radio New Zealand. He added, we were wrong. And finally, you know this story, perhaps, a parent whose complaint led to Amanda Gorman's poem, The Hill We Climb, she had read it originally at uh, President Biden's inauguration. The poem was being transferred now from the elementary school section of a Miami library to the middle school library. That parent, that single parent who made that complaint, made social media posts praising the Proud Boys and shared elements of an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, according to an ABC News review of a profile appearing to belong to that parent. After the alleged profile's existence was first publicized by online activist groups, a post appeared on the profile a couple of days later apologizing for sharing the anti-Semitic conspiracy theory protocols of the elders of Zion and quote I would like to apologize to the Jewish community for a post that I reposted earlier from someone else I only read the word communism and went ahead to repost it thinking it was related to that the post read in part the owner of the profile ABC News didn't name that person did not respond to requests for comment the School in question declined to comment, and Miami-Dade County Public Schools did not return a request for comment. So no comment. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
And finally, in news of our friend the Adam, a week after Japanese regulators postponed the restart of the world's biggest nuclear power plant due to safety lapses, a careless employee working from home added to the company's woes. TEPCO, which operates the Kashibazaki nuclear power plant in Niigata, said an employee placed a stack of documents on top of a car before driving off and losing them. The latest in a string of mistakes for the utility, likely to further erode the regulators' confidence in TEPCO. Safety lapses and a strict regulatory process have stopped Japan from restarting most of its nuclear reactors, which were shut in the wake of Fook. That's it for this edition of the show. Program returns next week at the same time over these same radio stations and over your audio device of choice whenever you want it. And it'd be just like Twitter being as safe as Neuralink. If you did agree to, to join with me then. Well, you already thank you very much. Uh huh. Tip of the show, Shap out of the San Diego desk to Pam Halstead, to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans, to the Hawaii desk, all for help with today's program. The email address for this broadcast, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and uh, a list of the music heard here on, as well as lots of stuff to read and watch and listen to and think about all at harryshearer.com. And think about this. I'm still on Twitter. At the Harry Sure. The show comes to you through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the Crescent City.